The preseason is in the books and week one is coming oh so soon. And this week on the final dump, we'll recap everything that happened in the preseason. We'll look ahead to the 53-man roster, who some surprise cuts could be. Should the Packers potentially go after someone else to add to the roster? Also, a great feature on Matt LaFleur. We've got significant to some. It's all coming up on this week's edition of the final dump. News dump. News dump. Yay! News dump. I mean, that's kind of a loaded question. It's a grand fly! It's the final dump, presented by Game On Wisconsin. And welcome to the final dump. Brendan Dworzynski and Matt Fralick here with you, brought to you as always by Game on Wisconsin, live on this beautiful Monday night on the Game on Wisconsin YouTube, Facebook Live, as well as on Twitter. What a week, Matt. The preseason is finally in the books. We are ready for week one. We just have one more week to wait where there will be no football. But coming up in just 10 days, the season will kick off. And then the full first Sunday is coming just three days after that, 13 days from our live show tonight. I cannot wait for it. And we have got so much to get to. And it's a big day tomorrow. We're going to find out what that opening day roster is with the 53. A couple more guys are going to have to get cut between Monday night and Tuesday afternoon. A lot to get to as we gear up here for week one. Huge week, huge week. You transition from training camp to preseason, kind of maybe a little taste of cuts. Maybe last week we saw a little with the Vernon Scott transaction, Cole Van Landing in a trade of the Jaguars. But this week is like a lot's going to happen behind the scenes. Not a lot of football, but take the extra, you know, if you're lucky to have Labor Day off, take the time to prepare the house for Thursday night football, for a full slate of college football, maybe over the weekend. Really just get yourself prepared for the degenerate degenerateness of watching football every waking moment when there is on because it's basically you can watch it on television anytime you want so um it's been a it's, it's gonna be a fun week i think right now still kind of waiting on that maybe that that blockbuster cut uh ty summers did get released today but or yesterday but notably like again nothing too significant yet but we'll see maybe there'll be breaking news tonight who knows I always did love how many reporters said a core special teamer, Ty Summers. Bro, that's not the praise you think it is. I promise you it is not. Also, you mentioned degenerates. This is a very big week for your boy personally, because as of September 1st, sports gambling is legal in the state of Kansas. So this man right here, Brendan Dorzinski, is going to have absolutely no money by midnight on Friday. So we cannot wait <laughs> for that to finally be made legal in the beautiful Sunflower State. Go up to the Oneida Casino if you're near Green Bay. Go have some fun. Celebrate in honor of me or come visit me in Kansas. That would be fun, too. We've got so much to get to. We will get to significant to some coming up at the end of the show tonight. We'll also be talking about the roster cuts, as I mentioned. Who might be some surprise cuts? What position battles are we looking for some closure on? And if some interesting names are cut around the NFL or could be on the trade market, should the Packers go after them? We'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. Plus, speaking of position groups and position battles, what's the best five on the offensive line? Elton Jenkins back at practice on Monday. David Bakhtiari seemingly getting better every single day. So we'll get to that. We'll recap the preseason, put a bow on that. It's all coming up on this edition of the final dump. But Matt, a couple of quick hitters to start things off. And we might as well get right into what has gotten Packers Twitter all riled up in the last 24 hours or so going into Monday night. 
the NFL top 100 came out. It is the player voted on ranking of the best players, so to speak in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers comes in number three this year, which is still pretty good. There are a lot of players in the NFL and to be number three out of all of them, still pretty good. Only behind Aaron Donald and Tom Brady. And only one other player made the list. Devondre Campbell ended up number 49, which is sick. I'm very happy for Devondre Campbell. My question is this. Are you at all upset, perturbed, confused, frustrated, anything by the fact that only two Packers made it to the top 100? I mean, if it was me, I'd say, yeah, more guys deserve to be there. If you're just saying who are the 100 best players in the league, Jair Alexander is on that list for sure. Aaron Jones is absolutely on that list. There are probably a couple other guys you can throw in there. Kenny Clark absolutely is. He, Kenny Clark's a top 25 player in the NFL possibly. But I also can't be all that mad at a ranking that is put together by a bunch of players who tell their publicists, hey, fill this out. Or I want to say it was Mitchell Schwartz, the former Chiefs and Browns offensive tackle, who said, yeah, we just got together in a group, circled a bunch of names and turned it in. Like it, that nobody takes this seriously. So I know a lot of Packers Twitter has been miffed about it, but I, I can't bring myself to get frustrated about this ranking. No, it's tough not to. I mean, I think only two guys is kind of crazy when you look at the roster top to bottom. And especially when you think of the roster of like it being very top heavy, right? And that's one of the reasons this team struggles with special teams or has been for a few years. It's very top heavy top heavy centric but it's like when you tell me it's Aaron Rodgers and Devondre Campbell it's like kind of strange I felt like always all the time Kenny Clark was an absolute layup to me in a top 100 I felt like he was always there Aaron Jones I couldn't see the argument of him being omitted because there are a ton of really really good skill players in this league and we're seeing passing being in more of a, a staple with offenses Jair Alexander to me I mean yeah he did miss most of the time last year but still like pretty significant I mean, he's pretty damn good and i think i mean if we could got four that would be pretty cool five seems like a stretch with all the other young talent coming into the league but man like the fact that it's devondre campbell and rogers just seems seems kind of strange like i just don't get it it really it really doesn't make sense um obviously elton jenkins david bakhtiari with injuries tough for them to make the list outside of that there's really no one else i mean adrian amos could make a, a could make a claim but he's He's regularly slept on. Like he's truthfully just one of the most slept on guys in the league because he just does so many great things for the team. He's like a Swiss Army knife, and end of the day doesn't maybe get in the statistical category. But like you said, if it's just players filling it out, I don't really care all that much. It's still cool to see where players rank certain guys. I still think it's incredible that Brady was number one. Nothing against him, but it's just like it seems like not for him to be number one seems a little crazy to me. Like he didn't win the Super Bowl last year. It's just like. I don't know. It's just a little bit bizarre. So at the end of the day, it's cool to get those accolades. I'm sure it means a lot with some dudes that maybe you're never really going to know who voted you in, which is strange. And I think the reputation that you have within your players that's not on a list is far more important when you're meeting with guys after games, dapping them up, jersey swaps, like, and just the guys in your locker room. So I think that maybe, not maybe, it goes a lot further than a list, but still kind of shocking to see only those two boys, uh, two boys listed. I think a couple interesting points here brought up from the Game on Wisconsin YouTube feed and appreciate you guys chiming in during the show. And one from our guy, Gil, who says, if the Packers are winning 13 games with only two top 100 players, does that mean it's just a better team that people give them credit for? Uh, yes, probably. And we'll get to 
a similar topic coming up here with Coach Matt LaFleur in just a moment. And uh, another one in here from Jude who says, if Jair's not hurt, does he make it in? Yes, he Probably. absolutely 100% would make it in because he's a top three corner in the NFL. The other last comment I want to make about this before we move on is I always find it funny and it's, I'm going to toe the line here as close as I can, but there's always a certain type of person who says, oh, I don't trust the media for anything. The writers, they don't, what do they know? I only care what the players have to say, bro. They're just voting for their own teammates and dudes in their own division and their buddies. Like they, do you really expect dudes like offensive linemen for the Arizona Cardinals to know what's going on with the Miami dolphins and guys who are in different position groups that they don't know? No, like they have no idea and that's not their fault, but I always found that argument funny and I'm biased, obviously being a member of the media and the NFL covering media, but I did always find that argument funny. Although where the media, the national NFL media did shine through this week. And I think this deserves some attention as well. A fantastic piece in the ringer by Kevin Clark, who by the way, Kevin Clark, a gets great access to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers regularly, which is very cool. And uh, I think he's written a couple features about 12 and other Packers related topics that are worth everyone's time, but he's just a really engaging writer in general, I think, and media personality. And he put together this piece that was published on Monday morning in the ringer or on the ringer, I should say about Matt LaFleur. And why does he maybe not get the credit he deserves for the success the Packers have had? And I think this is a fascinating question, Matt, and one that I think Packers fans have really been wondering it. I mean, especially if you are a pro LaFleur person and you're not necessarily the, well, it's only because of Rodgers. We're only good because of Aaron Rodgers. There is that type of person out there, but I think Matt LaFleur is a hell of a coach and yet he doesn't get really any coach of the year recognition. He is constantly given the, yeah, but Rodgers. Yeah, but Rodgers. Yeah, but Adams. Like that's the caveat that's always added to him. And I think Kevin Clark did a really good job of piecing together hey, by the way, this dude ex knows exactly what he's doing. And this dude is mm -hmm. actually really smart. And oh, by the way, this team might have the best playbook in the entire NFL. I thought it was a really engaging piece and I would recommend anyone go check it out. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to it. I think I'm glad you brought up the playbook thing because I kind of forgot about that. But just like hit them going through the X's and O's and stealing, you know, borrowing from Kyle Shanahan, what McVay's got going on, there were certain plays and just like putting that into the, into the rotation and challenging Rodgers a little bit. Like, also, let's not forget the absolute dumpster fire that, in my opinion, that Matt LaFleur took over from Mike McCarthy era, right? Like, let's not forget about that, how he had to turn the page. There's a lot of new guys that came in, a lot of new faces, the Smith brothers, Adrian Amos, a couple other dudes that were brought in that it it didn't have to go as swimmingly as it has. And I think just truly like what I've gathered more and more, and I think it's a great piece. I, I don't read a ton of long form articles anymore, and I don't think a lot of people in our society do. It's if I can get in 280 characters, that's that's a, about the reading I'm doing for the day. But I definitely took the time to read that today. I think it was a fantastic piece by Kevin Clark, lighthearted, you know, talking about the evolution of Matt LaFleur's career, how that blended out with the Green Bay Packers, talking about just like some X's and O's, but also some of the hijinks that goes on within the organization, how they're basically, I mean, the first, first opening paragraph is about them harassing uh, them, being some players harassing Matt LaFleur at a, I believe it was David Bakhtiar's wedding, whether or not Aaron Rodgers is going to come back. Like, and truly like, pulling the strings on him and just seeing like if they could get him and he's got to ask Stenovich if this is real and like all this shit and, like it's a fantastic read I highly recommend it the hate towards not the hate the um the lack of respect I guess towards Matt LaFleur is kind of shocking especially when you look at some of the statistics or some of the records they broke down just having you know the winningest record in the short amount of time beating Don Shula and certain things all these other things and 
I think, you know, one year, sure. Two years, maybe. Three years, it's like, dude, what more does this guy have to do? Like, he's not even getting first place votes or as many as he should. And I just, I don't think, like I said, I don't think he took over that great of a situation with um, with Aaron Rodgers' ex, Mike McCarthy. Now, granted, we've seen Aaron Rodgers do what Aaron Rodgers has done the last three years in, you know, in a vacuum once in a while. Now, three years in a row, not generally like that. But at the end of the day, I don't think it was all as broken as I'm making it seem when Mike McCarthy was let go mid-season, very untraditional of the Packers. But again, Matt LaFleur still was able to basically pick up where the organization had been running 18 months prior to that and get him back on the rails and get him to a couple NFC championship games has yet to break through. If he makes it to a Super Bowl and or wins one, you know, fingers crossed, it would be absolute blasphemy for him not to be a uh, coach of the year at some point. So Great piece. Go check it out. The Ringer, Kevin Clark. It's it smashes. It's truly worth your read. If you finish it in a day, you finish it in a lunch break, you finish a little toilet tinkering. Whenever you can get that done, make sure you read that. I, it's one of the better pieces I've read on the Packers in probably a couple months. And he really highlights, too, the fact that Matt LaFleur is just a really likable guy and mm-hmm. that he can be intense and he is a grinder and he is a perfectionist, but he, he empowers players to say, hey, I think we should do this. I mean, that's really the entire gist of the piece is, yes, he's got Aaron Rodgers, but they work together. They collaborate. The playbook is essentially the core tenets of the Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay tree, plus Aaron Rodgers saying, this is what I ran with Mike McCarthy. This is what works the best. I want to keep running it. And they melded it together into this beautiful creation and like he empowers these guys to do that other players said the same thing and they feel confident and they feel like this is something that works for them and to have the coach show up at David Bacchieri's wedding and have all sorts of Packers team members and and just people there giving him a hard time like they're all you know boys from back home I think that really says a lot about the culture of this team and the culture that Matt LaFleur has fostered so again I would recommend anybody go check it out Uh, the Name of it, The Case for Matt LaFleur. It's by Kevin Clark at The Ringer. Absolutely awesome and would recommend any Packers fan or just football fan go check it out because it is definitely worth the read. Now, as for the actual football, the preseason is in the books. We'll recap our final takeaways from the preseason a little bit later on in the hour. But I want to get to some position groups and position battles that we're keeping our eyes on going into cutdown day. It'll be 3 o'clock Central Time on Tuesday when the Cuts need to be in, and the rosters need to be down to 53. The Packers have already done a couple of things. They traded Cole Van Lannan to the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Green Bay native. They did cut Ty Summers over the weekend, which, okay, yeah, that's probably for the best. And a a nice move by the team to let him get an early jump on finding a new team. And I don't know if the XFL needs extra time, but, hey, I guess best of luck to Ty Summers, XFL or USFL, wherever he goes next. What groups are you paying the most attention to, Matt, in terms of the number of guys who are kept and which particular guys are kept at any given position and on either side of the ball? So generally, and I think the beginning of this year, even in the beginning of final dump season two here, I think I was, you and I both are probably hitting on the receivers quite hard. And I feel like at this point, receivers seem, I almost want to say set. Like it's like between Toury and Winfrey, maybe. I would say at the bottom, like last two, anyone that's been, you know, like Travis, Fulgami, great for him to come back to Titletown. Probably not going to need his services. Maybe he'll make it on a practice squad. Does have potential to have some significant games when called upon. I think offensive line, generally, I was pretty excited about back in, I don't know, end of June, early July. However you look now, 
it's really kind of solidified itself there. We'll get more to that as we pro- progress through this episode. But with some of the injuries with Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, they don't seem like they're going to rush him back as fast. It could get messy, but I think generally it's easy to err on the side of uh, you know abundance for offensive linemen. 10, 11 probably in consideration with um, Walker and I would say Caleb Jones making some long strides here the last uh, few weeks. But the one I'm really, really more interested in and it's kind of boring, honestly, is safety. Like, I don't know what's going to happen with the safety positions between Adrian Amos being healthy, Darnell Savage being tweaked, uh, Levitt being banged up, being the darling that was supposed to be the special teams guy, Tariq Carpenter battling an injury from now and then. Sean Davis is supposed to be this huge bright spot. He has been okay. I, I haven't been as jacked up as I thought I would be in preseason from him. And then you have uh, Micah Abernathy, right? Guy that had a really, really nice uh, game two, and just I don't, I don't know. Like, it, it, we're how many guys are going to keep? Because you need some of the guys for special teams. Adrian Amos kind of playing that hybrid role still down in the box. I don't think you'll have to do as much this year with Quay Walker being down there, and when, obviously with the emergence of Devondre Campbell. But I just I don't see how they keep. I, I feel like they have to keep four right now, just with the way Savage is banged up. Levitt seems like an absolute lock, just based off his special special teams prowess and like. Tariq Carpenter finally getting some reps this preseason, which was solid, just kind of sparing. And then Sean Davis, again, didn't see him flash like I thought he would. Abernathy, how do you keep him off? You know, Enos Gaines just had a birthday today. That doesn't mean absolutely anything of any substance. But truly, at the end of the day, like, I just think the safety position is kind of, kind of wonky for me right now. Just because you got to get some guys that can play special teams. you got some injuries. And there have been some bright spots. But how bright are they when it comes down to making that final 53? I think safety is a very interesting position to point out because the one negative about the Packers this year defensively on the roster is there's not a ton of depth through every position group. Like I feel really good about the defensive line. I think there is plenty of depth there. And that's another one to keep an eye on too. Jack Heflin is the name that stands out. He was obviously with the team last year. Does he make it? Is he essentially number 52 or number 53 on the roster when Tuesday afternoon comes and goes? And could you maybe sneak him out of the practice squad? Possibly. I think he's also probably done enough in his NFL career. Someone else looking for depth, especially if they're really flimsy, might go after him. So that's a name to watch. But at the safety group, again, it depends on how many you keep at every other spot. You know, if you keep Heflin, does that mean that you're going to keep one smaller number of safeties or cornerbacks or whatever else? Does that mean that, you know, Rico Gafford is probably fine, but, you know, someone at the bottom of those groups is in trouble. Does that mean that, you know, Keyshawn Nixon, whoever it is, ends up in some danger. Mm-hmm. I think safety is unique because I've seen just from fans, media members, bloggers, whoever, a lot of different opinions on that group. I think Micah Abernathy would be an awesome story. It's also hard for me to say those splash plays in the preseason, are they indicative of how well he's been playing in practice and what he's done with those dozens, if not hundreds of reps every single day, every single week? Or is that more so just, he got lucky a couple times in the preseason and the lights happened to be on. Or the third part of that, the second alternative is, is he just a gamer? Like maybe he's not the world's greatest pr- practice player, but maybe he's just awesome in games. We talked about that last week with uh, Kingsley and Igbari, that maybe he's just a gamer. Maybe he's mm-hmm. not the best practice player, but hey, when the lights are on and when the pads are on, he balls out. So I'm with you. I think safety is a really interesting spot. I think there's some intrigue as well on the offensive line, specifically Does Caleb Jones get kept? Does Caleb Jones get snuck onto the practice squad? That's another guy who I think could be a waiver loss. I mean, he's an unheralded 
huge physical beast. And that is exactly what the Packers love. Right. And we're going to talk more about the offensive line later. And the fact that none of these dudes were very high draft picks, except for Elton Jenkins and Josh Myers. And yet the Packers just are a machine at churning out offensive line talent. Caleb Jones, does he make it? I sort of lean no, but I'm interested what the final number is on the line. The other one that I, I guess I have to file away a mea culpa for this one that it's even being debated. But last week I was clowning one particular beat writer who I'm not going to name. I'm just going to say, if you cut down a tree, you'd get his last name. He made a comment about how, well, if the Packers only keep two running backs and I thought, what the hell, why would they only keep two running backs? That doesn't make sense. Well, then I saw on Monday, Matt Schneiderman of the athletic, I'll name him by name. Uh, he mentioned that he and Bill Huber, formerly of 24-7, now of Sports Illustrated, they floated the idea that maybe they do just keep two running backs because Kylan Hill is going to start the season on the pup list. He's your running back three, and you'll get him back eventually once he's healthy to go following the knee injury from a year ago. Maybe Amari Rogers really is RB3, or at least like RB2.5, and, and is going to get some more run, so to speak, in the running game. I still think Goodson's got a good chance at making the roster. Obviously, these guys know more than I do because they've got sources. They've got connections. They're at practice every day. That's an interesting one, and I I still am under the assumption, and I think it's more likely than not three running backs make the active 53, and that obviously doesn't include Kylan Hill. But now I've got just enough. There's a little doubt. Like I've got 12 jurors in my head who are trying to determine this, and 11 of them are certain, but now one is, okay, well, I'm not entirely sure. That's uh, trusting guys who I like, guys on the beat who I, I trust, but that's not something I ever even thought was worth considering. I saw the same thing, because we joked about it on last week, yeah. Monday, and it was like, that seems absolutely absurd. And then actually, I want to say it was, it was an audio clip. I think it was from Andy Herman on either Sundays, Pack-A-Day, YouTube, or Mondays, something like that, talking about how it would make sense to stash potentially Goodson away. You don't have Kylan Hill activated, and you wait until the final – we have to get that official roster for the first game. So, in theory, the 53 would turn out to be two. Now, when you actually get the team ready to play their first game, you know, more than likely they're going to roll out more than two running backs versus the Vikings. It just seems like a foregone conclusion. However – on a one-day sample size of when they get the roster correct Tuesday, tomorrow, okay, it does actually kind of make sense that they could keep two. However, when they actually get the final roster done, it just it was never going to happen. But I did have some doubt after I saw that, but I still I still rolled with it, and I still made some fun with it with uh, you know some of our social clips. I think the other one, and you already mentioned the wide receivers, that's going to be interesting to watch because I would – just based on, you know, the classic school of logic, think it's crazy to keep eight. I mean, that just seems like an insane number. But by the same token, you can make an argument easily for pretty much all these guys who are in the running to make the roster. I mean, we know the usual suspects. You've got the veterans. You've got Cobb and Lazard and Sammy Watkins is going to make the team. Watson and Dobbs, obviously, they're going to make the team. Amari Rogers, I know there was some chatter that, oh, he might get cut. I would be stunned if Amari Rogers got cut and yeah. we'll touch on that here in a moment I think Winfrey is shown enough and I think the Packers like Winfrey I like I think Aaron Rodgers likes Jawan Winfrey mm -hmm. there's an argument for Toure I mean he made some plays in the preseason I know that's not the be-all end-all but he made some plays he'll factor in on special teams eight seems high and I have doubt that we would see eight get kept on the initial 53 but 
I think you can make a legitimate argument. I'm with you. I don't think Fulgham really has much of a chance. I think he was just a camp body who knew the system. Uh, Ish Hyman had, I think, one play in the second preseason game, a really nice mm-hmm. leaping catch. I believe that was the second game. I think so. Other than that, I mean, yeah. uh, he's not He's not going to make the roster. I think that's just no. fair to say. He's just not going to make the roster. So outside of that, I, I would be surprised, but I would not be shocked if it ended up being eight. I think that's a a fair way to put it. And with that, I did also want to follow up with a similar question. Who might be a surprise cut this year? Cause every team every year, it seems has one or at least a quasi one where you say, Oh really? I, I thought he was safe, but I, I guess I can see the logic who might be that guy. And I guess I already sort of answered this question for myself. And that would be whoever running back three is sans Kylan Hill. If it's Goodson or Patrick Taylor, I mean, I, I don't really think it makes sense for this team, given how I don't think dependent is the right word, but how much they want to emphasize the run and how much I expect them to emphasize the usefulness of their running backs. I would be pretty floored if they didn't keep three, just because sometimes Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon are going to need a blow at the exact same time. And you're going mm-hmm. to need to get someone out there. Hey, Patrick Taylor. Hey, Tyler Goodson. We need you for a series and we need you to cover on special teams. You need to have that guy out there. So I guess that's, my answer, I guess I already answered the question that if they don't keep a third running back, that would be my biggest surprise. That would be absolutely shocking. I think also Amari Rogers not getting cut because he was taking some running back snaps too. So it's technically that would be like three running backs in the roster if we stuck with that that um, analogy that we were working off last week. But I, I'm having a tough time actually finding a surprise cut because like you mentioned, especially on the defensive side, really, really high-end caliber players – We've already seen Ty Summers get cut, which kind of makes sense. We saw Vernon Scott get moved. Like, that's also a surprise as well. That was someone that was filling up that secondary. Is Tyler Davis a surprise cut, quote-unquote? Like, is he a surprising cut? And I know if we would have said this back in May, yeah, absolutely. But based off how he's performed, no. But then again, Lafleur's kind of said, like, he's still our guy. I just don't see how they're going to – I mean, I guess defensive line – I would say defensive line, they'd cut someone there, but I also like a ton of dudes that are balling out there. Like, how do you get rid of Lowry Clark, Reed, Heffling, TJ Slayton, Devon, uh, Devontae Wyatt? Like, Heffling maybe, but like you said, he's shined enough where he's probably going to get claimed. That's where I see you could you could trim some fat. In the secondary, I don't see any surprises by any means. Of, I mean, by no stretch of the imagination, if you told me – I don't know, Jamar and she Char- you know, Charles got cut. I mean, granted, he's had a good preseason, but that wouldn't really be all that shocking to me. Nixon's been talked about that he should be a stud, but he hasn't done a ton for me to keep him on the team. I just don't see there's any big surprises because the top end of the talent is still there. Maybe Caleb Jones would be a surprise. I mean, that, that would be somewhat shocking to me because it's like he's balled out and is a super cool project guy, just being an absolute mammoth. But I'm going to go with Tyler Davis as being a surprise, even though it doesn't seem that shocking as we sit here past three games. But Matt LaFleur's um, opinions based around everything else besides the three games would say otherwise. Yeah, I think Davis is an interesting case because if we were basing it solely on does he look like he is an NFL player or not, I'd say, no, that's not a surprise at all. And ax him, get him out of here. But if you base it on... What Matt LaFleur has said and what Brian Goodkunst have said, I would say, yeah, that would actually be quite a surprise because they clearly like the guy for whatever reason. And again, they've seen more reps of him than than I have or than we have. The other name I will throw out there, 
that is interesting to me. And going back to the defense in the secondary, kind of going to circle back and completing a thought that I was getting to earlier, Tariq Carpenter is an interesting one. And you mentioned his name a little bit ago. I would be very surprised if he ended up being cut because, frankly, for no other reason, they drafted him. And I know that that's not always the best logic that, hey, sunk cost. If it's not worth it, cut him, move on, cut your losses while you can before it ends up hurting you. I do understand that. But also, I think we need to be realistic. And even the best front offices and even the best run teams run into situations where they've got draft pick bias. And Tariq Carpenter, if it comes down between him and Mike Abernathy, for example, we say, we want to keep one of these guys. Who are we taking? The guy who we signed midway through the preseason, who last played with the Pittsburgh Maulers of the USFL, or do we take the guy who's a rookie out of Georgia Tech, who we spent a limited amount of draft capital on, even if it was a day three pick? I would think it would end up being Carpenter. And he's had his moments, both up and down. It just feels to me like a move that the Packers would rather keep that project guy that they picked than somebody who they picked up off the street. I think that's just the way that front offices and general managers often approach transitional or not transitional, but transactional situations when you get to this part of the year. But other than that, I'm kind of with you. I, I guess the one I brought up about running backs is more conceptual than it is yeah. a specific player since we don't know who that RB3 could possibly be with Kylan Hill injured. But other than that, again, looking up and down the roster, I mean, I made the argument about the wide receivers earlier, but if you said, hey, they're only keeping seven, I'd say, yeah, no, that makes sense. Or if it was eight, I'd say, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense too. The tight ends, I would be a little surprised if they made a move just because of the way they all get talked about. And you know, Big Dog's not going anywhere. Tunyon was back at practice on Monday in a bigger role, which is awesome. That is such a good feeling for him. Offensive line, Caleb Jones is a really cool prospect and I like the idea of him and I would love if he could make it to the practice squad. I would absolutely love that. I just, I wouldn't be shocked if he got the ax and going through the rest of the defense. I mean, there's not really anyone who would be a mm -hmm. surprise either, unless, you know, Mason Crosby is actually way more injured than we thought. And they're essentially, you know, taking it out back behind the shed. And that's just it for Mason Crosby. Like that would be a surprise to me, but mostly because all the messaging has been, no, he's fine. And, I don't think Ramiz Ahmed is going to be kicking come week one. Let's just put it that way. So I'm with you. It, I guess that's what makes it a surprise, right? Mm -hmm. Is that you don't expect it coming, but I feel as though it's a pretty cut and dry group. Like I see 55 ish guys in the running and that sort of eliminates the surprise element to me. I totally agree with you. Like, I mean, there's just so many borderline guys. It's not going to be that crazy. We're not going to get that Kenny Clark cut. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. Like, Maybe J. Ron Reed gets moved, like just released, just because like they have all this youth. But like, I don't think I, I could be absolutely wrong because I'm not looking at spot rack right now. But like, I don't think J. Ron Reed's contract is all that much where they would need to cut him for a cap casualty. And more or less, they just don't want someone with you know like a Jack Halfling to get snagged or like a Caleb Jones to get snagged or whoever it would be. Um, but even that, I mean, I'm not going to lose. I mean, I like the J. Ron Reed acquisition because it was a veteran big guy that could play, but end of the day, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. And I think just to round out everything that you basically had said about um, Abernathy comparison to Tree Carpenter, I think is exactly spot on. I think there are some, you know, exceptions to that rule, but I think Tree Carpenter is one that they see enough athleticness from him. Having him watch him this preseason, he's an absolute beast. I forget how big he was. Um, and I think it's just a great thumper to be able to have. Um, Abernathy, maybe a flash in the pan that, 
And I mean, again, to you, how do you pull these? The USFL, the XFL, you get all these names. You're just able to just rattle off these. It's it's fantastic. You could say that these are teams and I wouldn't even know it. Here's the thing. Here's what I do during the spring. One, watch spring football. Two, turn on FS2 and watch their horse racing shows because <laughs> you know how much I love the ponies. And three, literally nothing else. Like that's all from when March Madness ends and my work covering Kansas basketball ends until the start of training camp i'm not doing anything i'm yeah. just watching spring football in the ponies so uh i've got a not quite photographic memory of this year's usfl but i i remember it pretty darn well i do want to get to a couple other quick comments here um one to your point about tyler davis david on the game on wisconsin facebook asks who's the starting tight end if big bob isn't ready for week one it's honestly i think tight end by committee at that point because big dog has his role Deguara, I think, is a fine player, but I think he's better as more of an H-back than a true Y tight end. 100%. And Tyler Davis, the team likes him for better or for worse. They really like him. So I think you're going to kind of get a, a mixture of guys who are all sort of filling that role. Uh, additionally, Dan on the Game on Wisconsin YouTube says another surprise would be if Sammy Watkins got cut. I'm not going to lie. When he first got signed, I said, dude, what the hell? Because I've I covered the chiefs in my day job and I saw him his entire career. He had like four good games and three of them happened in the same postseason in three mm -hmm. years. And I thought, no, I, this is not what I need for this Packers team. But again, sounds like Rogers really likes him because the two yeah. of them are on a different intellectual plane than any other football player I've ever heard of. And it sounds like the coaching staff likes him too. So I agree. That would be a surprise. That'd be a huge shock. I just don't necessarily see it happening. The other roster-related question I wanted to get to, Matt, and this is a little more abstract, and it's definitely more of the what-if game than just talking about, well, what does the roster look like, position group, position group. If somebody notable or at a position of need or just a, a shallow position on the Packers got cut elsewhere, would you be interested or would you at least entertain the idea of the Packers going out and signing said player and the reason i bring this up is a couple of names have been floated out there over the last 24 to 48 hours i've seen the name oj howard pop up who at one point in time was a big time tight end prospect out of alabama played a huge role in a national championship game a few years ago never quite got used all that much period not properly improperly just not used period in tampa bay he's in buffalo right now he's a cut candidate uh, I've seen Tony Jefferson's name get thrown around. It was announced mm -hmm. on Monday. He's going to be cut. He also can't see. I don't remember if anyone else remembers this storyline from earlier this offseason, earlier training camp. Like the man can't see, or at least in the past hasn't been able to see because just didn't wear glasses. So I don't, I'm a little scared of the judgment there, but that's a safety option possibly. If you said, hey, forget Abernathy, forget Carpenter, let's go get Tony Jefferson. Would that be interesting? The other one I want to bring up, and I saw this, uh, last week, in fact, from Doug Keed of Pro Football Focus, he said that a potential trade candidate is Mike Gesicki of the Dolphins, which sounds crazy because he's one of the best receiving tight ends in the league. But essentially, Mike McDaniel wants to have tight ends that block. He wants tight ends more in the George Kittle role, which A, well, duh, who wouldn't want George Kittle on their team? He's one of the two best tight ends in the NFL. Who wouldn't want that? But B, it essentially renders Gesicki as just a big slot receiver who's not mm -hmm. all that fast. And to me, that says, hey, uh, I would take that because you've already got tight ends who can block. DeGuara is kind of your chip H-back. Mercedes Lewis at this point is an extra offensive lineman when he's out there. 
I would at least entertain the idea. Now his cap hit is over 10 million Packers of 16 million in space. Does that intrigue you at all? The thought of going out and trying to find someone else, or are you more in the camp that we've got guys who have been in camp with us? They know the system. They know their roles. They're ready to go locked and loaded week one. I'd rather just stick with the guys we have. I think there's a ton of value in getting a veteran that can come in and contribute, especially when you're rattling some of these names off. Specific, I mean, Gasicki's a great name to bring up. I'll get back to him in a second. Uh, yes, Jacob Westendorf, intellectual, is one word for 12 and Watkins. Definitely in different intellectual spaces. But I will say that I I never at this point am doubting anything that uh, Gutekunst will do because like he's brought in guys throughout his tenure. I mean, more notably Rasul Douglas who just brought in off the street and all of a sudden is a starter, right? Like was getting snaps at safety last week, which was absolutely cool. We haven't talked about that at all, which we won't, but I think at the end of the day, like getting a veteran is just a, a great way to piecemeal a position group together. And I say that because I thought for sure they were at least going to kick the tires on Trey flowers. He unfortunately signed a contract with the Dolphins um, earlier this week, or I think yesterday, actually, or today even, um, formerly of the the uh, the Lions, been around the Patriots when he was drafted. I thought that would have been a guy they would have brought in, similar to the Whitney Merciless. I think a lot more tread on the tires for Trey Flowers than there was at Merciless at the time. Um, but that was another position I thought maybe they could get some contribution there for. You know, that outside edge isn't – I don't feel also confident in it. One thing about preseason games, like you mentioned, Brendan, which was great, is like sometimes we, as fans, your particular team, you get very, very fixated on – who guys you've seen for the last three games, guys you've heard about since the end of May, maybe early May that there were free agents, UDFA guys. And sometimes you really don't take a step back and be like, whoa, is this guy actually ever going to contribute in a freaking game? Like, is he actually going to do anything? So I think of guys like Kinsley Ingabari, Jonathan Garvin, like are these guys actually going to be able to make plays? And I think Trey Flowers, granted, maybe more of a hand-in-the-dirt guy, could definitely set some edge pressure. Um, so I thought he was maybe someone out there. I mean, Gesicki's a one that, it, like you said, does not fit Mike McDaniel's concept at all. If you're trying to run more of a George Kittle, Kyle Juszczyk, um, maybe Josiah DeGuara, I, I pray and hope that one day he gets there. Mike Kosicki's not it. Because in the games that I watch of the Dolphins, he truly is a specialized slot big guy. Like, they'll split him out. They'll put him in spots where it's like, dude, he's never going to block. You're just trying to get a jump ball to him in the red zone. Great red zone threat, as we know. Uh, Packers have struggled once in a while with the red zone. I think they've gotten back into you know more of the swing of things, but it it comes and it goes, right? And I think depending on Robert Tunyon, especially back to Ron's point, Ron's question statement, Dan, excuse me, not Ron, it would make sense for them to go get Gasicki if Tunyon's not 100% available. They basically play the same somewhat position or are going to be asked to do the same thing in supplementing of DeGuara and Mercedes Lewis and whoever else can be out there. So it wouldn't be a terrible move. Again, at the end of the day, that that contract's a little bit thick. And I think, truthfully, like, do you need another pass catcher where you're maybe going to take seven or eight receivers and you're going to already have three that you're kind of piecemealing? It seems a little bit abundant in that you wouldn't need it. So outside of that, I mean, I've, I've been scrolling. Jaquiz Tart is a guy that pops out for me. He's an athletic freak, kind of a safety dude. Maybe he's a more of a Madden goon than anything else, but I know when he was on the Niners and we got some looks here recently with the, the Eagles, he had some good contribution, but he's he falls in the same line as like a Tariq Carpenter. Big athletic guy, kind of a hybrid dude, but how much is he going to be able to contribute? Maybe he's a special teamer. I don't ever recall him making a ton of special teams plays when I've watched him play on the Niners, but end of the day, I think right now, if they were to sign someone, I wouldn't be shocked. 
I would say edge rusher, but again, not a ton of quality edge rushers that I see out there unless I'm missing something on this, uh, this waiver wire. I did the mat. I did the mat, Freilich. I It finally happened, folks. I We're going to have to get a tally sheet. Two to one. It, two to one. Yeah, two to one. There were – I record right next to the window outside, and there were people, I think, on motorcycles going past. I was like, oh, I should mute this so it's not on the stream, and then I forgot to turn Respect. it on. I Respect. did I did the, the mute, Matt Freilich. My apologies to everyone. I was going to say I miss Whitney Merciless, and I wish we could have brought him back for another year. The Packers could have brought him back for another year. Because uh, I really like the contributions he gave. Then he got hurt, came back late. So uh, shout out to Whitney Merciless in retirement. I think the Gesicki point, on one hand, I don't know that the Packers want to add another tight end, especially one who just has no willingness to block. And I know the Packers could fit him under the cap, but the Dolphins would likely be more willing to trade him to a team that will immediately sign him to a long-term deal because they're going to give up more picks to get him or just more capital to get him. On the other hand... Imagine a red zone package of Alan Lazard, Mike Kosicki, Mercedes Lewis, AJ Dillon, and Aaron Jones. It would be a touchdown on every play. You wouldn't even need to snap it. They'd just say, okay, touchdown. It'd be like in the old NFL blitz games. You know, the Mm -hmm. extra point was just free. You didn't actually play it. It just auto kicked. Yeah, that's what it would be with that package. So just some food for thought, even though it's definitely something of a pipe dream. Speaking of Mercedes Lewis and being an extra offensive lineman, there's been a lot of discussion over the last couple of days, I've seen this on offensive line Twitter. Great place. Shout out to Brandon Thorne about what the best offensive line group starting group for the Packers would be. What is the best five? And to me, it includes Zach Tom. That's the most important part of this. Cause we know it includes David Bakhtiari. We know it includes Elton Jenkins. We know it includes Josh Myers because well, he's the best center option you've got. There's no Lucas Patrick is waiting to swoop in if needed. And Josh Myers is your best option there. So it essentially comes down to who are the guards? Do you go with Runyon at the left and you have Royce Newman at right guard? Does Zach Tom fit in somewhere? Do you put Zach Tom at a tackle spot and kick Elkin Jenkins inside, which I think there's an argument for that, but one way or the other, and I don't know how much trust the Packers have in Zach Tom so far, But the numbers, if you're into that sort of thing for offensive linemen, were fleshed out by Pro Football Focus in a graphic they posted on Twitter this weekend, or it might have even been on Monday, excuse me. 69 pass-blocking snaps, nice, in the uh, preseason. A beautiful, touching tribute to David Bakhtiari. He did not allow a single pressure in 69 pass-blocking snaps. I mean, that is tremendous. And I know it's preseason. I know he was largely blocking second teamers and third teamers and guys who have a second job at the box factory. I understand that, but that's significant for a dude who was a fifth round pick out of wake forest. Not exactly known for big burly mauling dudes. Although they did have a very nice offense last season. Shout out to Sam Hartman. I think your best five has to include the foursome of Bakhtiari Jenkins, Myers and Tom and personally, I'd put Runyon in there. I would rather have Runyon out there than Newman. I know Newman has had a pretty good preseason, save for maybe uh, an unfortunate play under the spotlight a couple of times. I would lean Runyon, but I think you can't have a best five unless you have that initial four. Yeah, I, I'm really glad that you're bringing this up at the end of the end of the preseason and whatnot because this. I hate to reference it again, but this has happened last year. Right? We talked about Brent Braden getting snaps. All of a sudden, Royce Newman was playing right tackle at one point. There was there was some shuffling at Colvin. Leano was getting snaps. Like 
And I wonder if it's one of those things where they were kind of sandbagging all along, knowing that Zach Tom was developing very well, knowing when Elton's going to come back, David Bakhtiari. But I, I, A, can totally agree with you, which sucks for, you know, controversial sports analysis on a podcast or a live stream. I can definitely, I will pick John Runyon over Royce Newman every day of the week. I've liked John Runyon since day one. Yes, it has to do with a lot of his pedigree, being that his father was a stud lineman as well. The value they got in John Runyon, obviously also out of Michigan, helped quite a bit. Um, I just like John Runyon over Royce Newman. Ultimately, I think I like Zach Tom a lot better over Royce Newman too. He just seems more like a guard than Royce Newman ever will to me. Royce Newman just seems like a right tackle. It's really tough for me to pinpoint him as a guard. And I just think we talk about this all the time is that they're going to put the best five out there. I just don't see all the talent we they've had. We've literally talked about everyone other than Sean Ryan, Josh Nijman. Like, I just don't see how Royce Newman is one of the top five linemen on that roster. And granted, it might just be that there is some lack of depth at guard. That could be the case where he's getting slotted in there because you're not going to put, I mean, Josh Nijman at right guard. That seems absolutely obtuse. Like, that seems just insane. Jake Hansen, I like the experiment there at right guard, but he's not starting over any of these other guys we've even mentioned, including Newman. I just don't see how Newman is a top five offensive lineman on this team. Knowing what we know now with the team trending healthier, I'm not saying any guarantees about 74 or 69. Nice. But at the end of the day, I just think that even, even when these guys, both guys are injured, I still feel like there's an opportunity for Royce Newman not to start. Very small that he wouldn't, when if those two guys were gone, but I just don't see how Newman is a solidified right guard, especially with all the talent they brought in this year, and especially with the way some of these other young men are uh, developing. Granted, Rasheed Walker, Caleb Jones, perimeter guys, but at the end of the day, as I said, three times, four times, Royce Newman doesn't seem like a top five offensive lineman on this team. And I think you just you have to get the best group out there. And yeah. the beautiful thing about this Packers offensive line is how different guys can play at different spots. Jenkins is the ultimate option option in that regard but you've got guys who can play in different places so you can mix and match I just I love what I've seen from Tom man I don't know how you can keep him off the field even though Newman is clearly their guy from last year and in regard to Newman one final thing and this sort of ties back into our discussion about splash moves as well our guy Iowa Joe on the game on Wisconsin YouTube chimes in and says I've seen Newman's name as a trade candidate the other name I've seen in terms of would the Packers be willing to trade this guy is Yash Nyman, who is going to be your swing tackle once Bakhtiari and Jenkins are both back in full form, ready to go. But with the Cowboys dealing with the injury on their offensive line and the desperate need now for a left tackle, would they be interested in Yash Nyman? I'm sure that the Jones family has made some calls to Green Bay, Wisconsin to try to figure something out and say, hey, is Yash Nyman possibly on the market? Would we be able to get him? Or would a Royce Newman be on the market? Because Lord knows we need some depth on the offensive line. I don't necessarily think that would happen because I think the Packers are more worried about winning now and having insurance now than a draft pick in the future, for example, or just adding a, another safety or whatever it might be. But I do think that's something worth considering. Could Newman or Nyman be on the block. And I'm not saying that either one necessarily is just that it's an interesting thing to consider that we know teams that need offensive line help right now. Would it be worth it to move one of those guys to get some future help in exchange? I don't know for sure, 
And again, they might not actually be on the block, but I think it's at least something worth bringing up. Matt, let's put a bow on the preseason right now. We've talked about a lot of it. We've gotten to our general thoughts on the 53-man roster. Real quick, before we touch on significant to some, anything else from the preseason that you took away that we haven't gotten to? I'm going to try to round this out evenly. Negative, neutral, positive, a take a piece. We'll start negative. How the hell did the special teams get worse? Like, how is that possible? And I realize we have a new long snapper, holder, punter. Our kicker is hopefully coming back week one. I think Ahmad is decent, but, I mean, if we rolled him out there for week one, I'd be very scared. So even those things aside, just like the coverage and the return are just, holy shit, like they're so bad. And I I don't know what's got to happen. And, you know, some of these guys, like you mentioned, they're, they're second, third string guys. They're not going to be the regular guys. Basaccia, known to have first stringers out there playing special teams, although that does put some panic in my mind quite often because you don't want an injury to happen like we saw it happen last year with A.J. Dillon in the playoffs. So figure it out. I think it's going to come around. I have some faith. Why? Because it really can't get much worse. And I know it seems like it's gotten worse because it really has, but I think it'll come around when you get some of these starters in there. Number two, positive side. I don't have a neutral one yet. I'm going to come up with one. Positive side is that we have seen Jordan Love make strides. We have seen Jordan Love make some better, I would say, technical plays some more things in rhythm, understanding the flow of an offense, just truly working on the mechanics. And there was actually a clip I saw from like 2010. And it always shocks me when you see, or 2009, when you see Aaron Rodgers, the way he throws the ball from way back then, it's just absolutely baffling. Like it's, it's, it's just, yes, yes. High up by the ear, like some, like, remember the Titans type stuff. And it's just, you like to see him develop. And I think that's going to happen with love. We've seen some strides there. The big thing, decision making you can't you can't be slinging the ball down the field i know it's oh there was 20 seconds left on a third and long yeah i don't give a shit it let's not transfer that over into the way you make decisions because you haven't broke through that like if it's like end of a a drive or you know end of a a half or what 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 have you and you're slinging it that's great and you always make good decisions great but like we don't need to be working you know towards bad habits even further more neutral i would just say truly like no injuries. And I guess that's super, super positive, but sometimes injuries go your way. Sometimes they don't right now they're, they're going our way. And I think that's been significant. Granted, Levitt's been banged up. Crosby's been banged up, but nothing significant when it came to um, injuries that happened in these games. Um, it seemed like a couple injuries could have been worse, but at the end of the day, I'm going to stick with injuries being a neutral one, even though it should be double positive. I'm glad Denzel coached that out of Aaron Rodgers. Very happy about that. Uh, My number one thing, it's number one, two, three, four, all the way through number 50, no major injuries. And I know part of that is because the Packers don't play anybody. I mean, Matt LaFleur sits 30-plus guys a game. So, yeah, you're not going to get Randall Cobbhurt or Alan Lazard or Aaron Rodgers or Adrian Amos because the guys don't play. But to come out of this healthy and to know how good the top of the roster still is, very – consoling in a way, not consoling, but it it makes you feel good. It's comforting. I guess that's the C word I'm looking for, not necessarily another C word. So it is comforting to know that you've still got all those guys and week one, no matter if it's, you know, if Bakhtiari's back, if Elgin Jenkins is back, whatever, you're going to have the vast majority of your key pieces. And that's the number one thing for me. I think we've touched on most of the actual football parts of it to this point. 
I, I'm just glad it's going to be a, a healthy start to the year. And hopefully that includes Bakhtiari and Jenkins both being back and able to contribute, if not week one, then within the first two or three weeks of the season. So with that, Matt, let's wrap things up today with significant to some. Now, we don't have specific spreads or odds on this one necessarily, but I do think it is important to keep in mind, depending on if you are looking at I don't know, maybe placing a bet on one of these specific topics or whether it would maybe impact your fantasy football feelings. I just had a fantasy draft on Sunday night. I know you had one this weekend. I've got another one coming up next weekend. So we're very much in fantasy mode as well. So this week, instead of having a player prop and obviously no spreads yet because the season is not quite here, I want to get to picking who is going to lead the Packers in a couple of offensive categories. And we're going to start offensively we're going to start with the receivers. So throw tight ends and, and running backs in here too, but pass catching statistic. Who is going to lead the Packers in receptions this season? A lot of different ways you could go on this one. Initially, I was going to say Aaron Jones just to be an absolute maniac, uh, and I'm not that crazy. I'm going to say I'm going to go super, super safe and just say Alan Lazard. I think he's gotten Rodgers' trust over the years. I would say he probably trusts him second to Randall Cobb. I know we said Sammy Watkins is getting there, but it does take a a little bit while to get in line. I think Alan Lazard, to me, I've always had a soft spot for him. I think he's an absolute stud, and I just think there's no reason he shouldn't continue to add to what he did last year. He he was second in the team last year. Granted, MVS did have some injuries that plagued him throughout the season, but still second behind Devonta Adams. I think it's significant, and de facto, he'd be number one at this point, but – there's an option for a ton of guys. So I'm interested to hear who you have. I'm with you that Lazard, I think is the safe pick. And I think in all likelihood will be the guy. And we know Rogers likes him. He he didn't trust him in a key moment in the playoffs, but we know that Rogers does have at least some level of trust in Alan Lazard. A name though, that I would keep in the back of my mind. And if you can find odds on this, this might be a good value pick for you. I think Aaron Jones is legitimately a name to watch in this situation. I mean, this would be going, and I know this is sacrilegious for a a Packers website and live stream, but very like mid 2000s bears with Matt Forte. Like this guy is the entire offense. Now, granted, those Bears teams were far worse than this Packers team is, but you know what I'm getting at? Like this guy is a running back, but he is great between the tackles. He's great on the outside. He's great in the screen game. He can run routes out of the slot or extend it out wide as well. I think that's a name to keep in mind because if you think of some of those extension of the run kind of plays, those soft bubbles that the Packers have run in recent years to Devontae Adams, well, who is maybe the most explosive guy who right now you know can be a contributor? Because if you're talking long-term perspective, uh, Christian Watson. But if you're talking right now, who maybe do you trust the most to have an explosive play or to just guarantee you eight yards on that little flip out bubble screen? I think it's Aaron Jones. I think he's going to factor in a lot. I think he's going to line up on the line of scrimmage in the slot a lot. And again, out wide a decent amount. So I would lean with Lazard, but I think Jones is a a sneaky dark horse pick. And speaking of number 33, who do you think is going to lead the Packers in carries this year i think this is maybe more interesting than some on a national level might think this is really really hard because i've i've fully committed to the fact that they're going to ground and pound this year and i've fully just embraced that the the past game is going to be an afterthought and maybe i'm completely wrong because that we've been thrown for a loop before rogers has done this with the cast of characters made to sling the ball around but i'm going to fully 
just believe that they're going to run the rock this year. I think they're going to kind of preserve maybe Aaron Jones a little bit more, split him out. It just seems like AJ Dillon's going to get the rock. Like it's really, really, they're going to, I, I hope that they're in a theory, the defense holds teams to less than 20 points, 17 points, whatever three scores, we'll call it. And they're able just to pound the freaking ball down the throat with all these offensive linemen they have with the different looks. They're going to be getting these two by one sets, these two by two sets. Like I think, it's just going to be A.J. Dillon's year to eat. He's coming into, I believe, his third year, correct? Like, he's going to be able to get after it, and I just don't see how they don't utilize the hell out of him because why would you not right now with just the way you're going to need to distribute the football to Aaron Jones? You have to have some deceptiveness in there, and once you get those looks with A.J., pound it up the middle. I'm with you, and I think the answer here is A.J. Dillon. And again, I think that's because you're going to see so much of Aaron Jones being used as a receiver or as a slot slot back. That's a, a CFL position in Canada. They actually have a specific listing for slot back, not just wide receiver who plays in the slot. I think you're going to see a lot of that as Aaron Jones's role this year. I think you're going to see him on jet motion. I think you're going to see him do a lot of different things, kind of be that multi-tool player in the backfield. Whereas I think Dylan, while he'll probably factor into the passing game more than he has in the past, I don't think he's going to be necessarily one of the biggest keys in that regard like Jones will. So I think it's going to be Dylan who gets more carries. But if you were to ask me who's going to get more overall touches, I would say Aaron Jones. I would say probably not close because he is going to be used so much in the receiving game. That's what I think Aaron Jones is going to have a massive year one because his contract is cuttable after this year. I'm not advocating for that necessarily, but for financial reasons, it may be a requirement. So it's kind of a quasi contract year to a degree for Aaron Jones. I think he's going to have a huge year. I think Matt LaFleur loves what he brings to the table. I think he's going to have a big season, touch the ball in a number of different ways. So I'm very excited to see how he gets used. But I really believe the coaching staff, and I believe Matt LaFleur when he says, hey, they're they're not one and two. They're one A and one B, or they're both one A's, I believe is how it was posed to us. So I, I'm very interested to see how that split is. I'm not saying Dylan's going to have – 600 carries and Jones is going to have 300 but I I do think you're going to see just a slight edge on the ground in terms of number of touches to AJ Dillon that does it for significant to some this week and that does it for this week's edition of the final dump this is the final week with no NFL football until we get to the week between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl. No, I do not count the Pro Bowl. We are so close, Matt. Cannot wait for it. Next week, we'll be previewing the week one game against Minnesota. We'll be gearing up for it. We'll have some more significant to some. We'll know what the 53-man roster is and what the roles will be. We're so close, Matt. We're finally almost there. We are almost there. I am pumped. Like I said, this week's going to be a little bit dicey. We'll see what sort of transactions happen. If they sign anyone who's cut, doesn't seem like the way, we, the, the way we've gone through this tonight, that there'll be anything super, super um, drastic. But you never know. In the next less than 24 hours, will be interesting. But I'm excited just to get, you know, set. Like I said, enjoy that extra day. You know, if it's – you're going to be, you know, watching these college football games. I know there's some really good games on this weekend. You know, really embrace it. They, you, know, you know, maybe treat the significant other right on Sunday. Take them out on the town, he or she. Do some possible yard work. Really set the tone where you've, you you can cash those chips in later down the road. And then Monday, get the fantasy lineup set. Make sure the bets are set. Come prepared for A, final dump. B, significant to some because we want to crack down those bets with you guys. 
We can't wait for that. You can follow along with us on Twitter all week long. Matt can be found on Twitter at Matt underscore FRA underscore. You can find myself, Brendan, on Twitter as well at Brendan DZW. And of course, make sure you're following Game on Wisconsin everywhere. On Twitter, it's at Game on WI. Find us on YouTube and Facebook as well. We will be back live coming up on Monday next week, September 5th. It's Labor Day. We're going to have a lot of fun as we get ready for the start of the NFL season. We can't wait for that. So until next time, for Matt Fralick, I'm Brendan Dwarzynski. You've been listening to another edition of The Final Dump, brought to you by Game on Wisconsin. Well, Wayne, I think this is one that Vince Lombardi and George Hallis would be proud of. You could have given me the touchdown. That is hard to overturn, you know what I mean? I understand. That's that. a good effort, Rich though, wasn't it? Yeah, That's a pretty good effort.